Somebody shut the door, please. Somebody shut the door, please. Uh, okay. Uh, thank you for that uh, worshiping song. You guys sounded really, really, really good. And uh, Jane, thank you. Where'd she go? I don't know where she is. She left. Okay. Uh, thank you, Alex and Jane. For You know, I, I am out of John. I'm not over John. I'm not supposed to get over John. And you aren't either. Okay? That long, long, breathtaking look at Jesus Christ, you're never supposed to get over that. And uh, so... I said three weeks ago, I think it was the last time I was with you, I said if the biblical gospel is a fairy tale, then it doesn't matter at all to anyone. It's just another legend or another fable or another, another lie. But Jesus Christ said He's God. And if He is God, then every human being on the planet is implicated. Every human being on the planet is drawn up into this epic and titan titanic and miraculous event. No one is left untouched. There's one thing, if you're even a superficial reader of the Bible, there's one thing you'll, you'll come to understand. You either have to accept Him or reject Him. <laughs> there's no middle ground with, with the Lord Jesus Christ, right? There, there is no middle ground. And, and you have to decide, is what He's saying true or not? Is He really God? Or is He a lunatic? How many times have I told you? This is Lewis, C.S. Lewis said this, and it's exactly right. He can't be just merely a prophet. He can't just be, merely be a good moral teacher. He's either God or he's a lunatic. You have to decide. It's your decision. It's the most important decision you'll ever make. And you have to decide whether what Jesus says about himself is true or not. And so how do I get here from John? I get here because I say this. If the infinite, eternal, holy God has taken on flesh, if He's lying in a manger, if He walks the earth, if He keeps the law for me, if He allows Himself to be nailed to a tree for me, then what's my reasonable response to that? And that's what I want to ask you. If this is true, if He really is God, and He's become a man, and He's died on a cross, He shed His blood for the sins of His people, what would be the reasonable response of His people? And that's what I want to talk about tonight. And let me just insert. <laughs> this is an awesome thing. And I said to you three weeks ago, if you're not in awe about who He is and, and what He's done, then I don't really think you're a Christian at all. I don't think you understand the import. And I just don't think you're believing it. If, if you're not in awe of the fact that the living God's come and He's been, and he's been nailed to a tree for the sins of His people, then uh, we probably need to do some serious business with God if we're not in awe about that. 
So what's our reasonable response to the Gospel of John and all that Jesus says about Himself in the Gospel of John and all that we see Him do in the Gospel of John? What is the reasonable response of any man or woman? I submit to you there's one response and that is worship. All that's left, all that's left for us to do is worship Christ. And not just in here. Out there. To worship Him extravagantly in the world so the unbelievers around you see it and they smell it and they taste it through you. Yes, He really is God. Yes, He really does love His people like this. I'm going to define worship for you. I know you know what it means, but let me define it. It means, just look in the dictionary. It means reverent honor, adoring reverence. I love this one, extravagant devotion. Deep, ardent love, uh, esteeming, exalting, honoring, glorifying, venerating, and I love this last one, enjoying. And we'll talk a lot, a lot more about that next week. So the only reasonable response to a God like ours, in my opinion, is, ex is an extreme display of deep and ardent and passionate worship. So let me ask you. Does that characterize your life? Are you worshiping God like that? John Piper defines worship as well as anyone. He says it's the inner treasuring of God as the highest value in the universe from which proceed acts of obedience, faith, devotion, and love. We'll read it to you one more time. It's the inner treasuring of God as the highest value in the universe from which proceed acts of obedience, faith, devotion, in love. It's what Jesus told Nicodemus. It's the whole inside-out thing. You must be born again. And if you're born again, it's going to come out of your hands. It's going to come out of your feet. It's going to come out of your mouth. That inward treasuring of God will become the outward treasuring of God as you obey Him, as you exercise faith, and as you love Him in the world in such a way that the world can see that He's your God. Someone said there's at least two great moments in your life. When you're born and when you figure out why you're born. Okay. So if anyone came in here and they didn't know the answer to the second question, that's what the sermon's about. I'm going to give you the answer to the second question. You were born for Him. How many times have I said it up here? We were made by Him and what? For Him. You were made for one thing preeminently. And that's to worship Jesus Christ. That's it. Preeminently. Does it mean God doesn't allow us to enjoy subordinate pleasures and joys? But preeminently, He has constructed you to love Him and to worship Him. You are not here to just make a living. You are here to make a joyful noise. You are not here to accumulate possessions. You have been left here to accumulate treasures in heaven. You are not here to just have a few moments of temporal pleasure and then die. You are here for the Holy Spirit to prepare you for an eternity of infinite pleasures with the living God. You are here for him. That's why he made you. And this morning, 
pardon me this evening. <laughs> now that I have two services, I get really messed up. Um, but this evening we're going to see two women. Two women are going to show us, actually three, three women are going to show us what our reasonable response is to Jesus Christ. What it's supposed to look like in the real world. Okay? I'm going to be in Luke chapter 7, and then for the third point we're going to go to Mark 14. Here are my three points. These passages reveal three truths about authentic worship. Authentic worship begins in knowing who you are. Authentic worship flows from a broken and contrite heart. And authentic worship is treasuring who God is. I'm not going to read the text. You heard uh, Rob read it earlier. But this Pharisee invites Jesus Christ to come dine with him. And this woman learns that he's there and she comes to him. But she's a sinner. Now you know what this means, right? This is New Testament code for the fact that she is what? She's a prostitute. Okay? She is a harlot. That's who she is. Okay? She finds out Jesus Christ is there. And look what she does. She comes. It's, it's like it's impossible to consider the pressure for her not to enter this Pharisee's house. But she will not be dissuaded. And she comes. And she hears that he's here. I love this text. So forgive me. Okay? I love this text. And if, if you understand about your own sin, you'll love this text too, okay? Uh, and she, she finds out that he's there, and she comes and she's weeping. And, and her tears, I love what the message says, her tears are raining down on his feet. And she's wiping uh, his feet with, with her hair, and she anoints him with perfume. And this Pharisee saying to himself, this man should know. If this man's a prophet, he ought to know she's a harlot. And you'll notice here in the text, Jesus answers this man's thoughts. I don't know if you noticed that before. And he says, Simon, I have something to say to you. A certain moneylender had two debtors, and neither one of them could pay. One owed a lot more than the other. He forgave them both. Who's going to love him more? And what's the answer? The one who owed the most. And Jesus turns and he says to Simon, but he turns and he's looking at this woman. He says, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she is wetting my feet with her tears and wiping them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. This is my first point. Authentic worship begins when you realize you're a sinner. <laughs> if you don't know that about yourself, you really can't worship Jesus Christ. Because you don't really understand. You don't really understand what's going on. This woman, she's a prostitute. She has sinned repeatedly and she knows that the holy, omniscient God has seen her sin again and again and again. She sold her body for money. And now she's clean. Now I want, you to, I want you to appreciate this. This is why she seeks Him out. Okay? She's heard about this, this prophet. She's heard about this prophet who says things like this. It is not for those who are healthy who need a physician, but it's for those who are sick. He says things like, I didn't come to call the righteous, I've come to call sinners. 
And he says things like, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Her sin is gone. Do you understand the import and the magnitude of this for this woman? Do you understand it for yourself? This is why Christians worship like nobody else on the planet. This is why Christians worship like angels can't even worship. You know why angels can't worship as good as you, right? They've never been forgiven anything. You've been forgiven everything. This is why Christians can worship like no other being on the planet. What did this song say? He's covered all my sin. And she knows it. And she's got to find him. And she's got to worship him. <laughs> and I want that to be our heartbeat in this church. And I want that to be your heartbeat. So what is her, what is her response to this God who becomes a man and is nailed to a tree for her? It's unrestrained, stra extravagant, and uninhibited worship. Are you worshiping Jesus Christ like that? Do you call yourself a Christian? Well, that is your job description. To worship Jesus Christ like that. Like you understand, you've been forgiven an unpardonable debt. Matthew 18, the man owed 10,000 talents. It's just a metaphor for the fact that he could never pay this back. It's gone. It's forgiven. This is what Jesus Christ does in our life. God says this awesome thing to every one of His children. Though your sins were as scarlet, they are what? They're white as snow. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. My second point is authentic worship flows from a contrite heart. You see this in this woman. It's all over the page. You can just feel, I can anyway, you can just feel the, the pathos coming off the page. You can feel how she loves her God. All that sin is gone. She's clean. She's clean. You have to love this. David says the sacrifices of God are a broken and contrite, or a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. This woman is an outcast. She is untouchable. She is unlovable. And she knows under the law she should be stoned. She understands all of this. She's forgotten what joy is like, what real joy is like, what self-respect is like, what genuine intimacy is like, what real tenderness is like. She's an outcast. No man would ever love her. No man would ever want her. No man would ever be her groom. But wait a minute. Wait a minute. There is one man. There is one man. There is one man that loves her. And he came for. And he's going to die for. And he will be her groom. Because the church is what? What is the church? The bride of Christ. And so, though her sins were many in eternity past, this God set his heart upon her. And though her sins were many, He's loved her with an everlasting love. And though her sins were many, He's chosen her to be part of His bride. And though her sins were many, she will be with Him forever.
you will be with God forever. Jesus says in verse 48, your sins have been forgiven. And, and when, I, when I read this text, my mind always goes to 2 Corinthians 11.2. And Paul says this, For I betrothed you to one husband, that to Christ I might present you as what? Does anybody know? A pure virgin. This is who this woman is now in Jesus Christ. And she gets it. And she gets it. And she comes and she weeps and she, the tears are raining down and she, she wipes wipes his hair and this is this is un, this is unheard of in the first century that she would let her hair down in public and and she wipes wipes uh, his feet with her hair and she's forgiven all that sin is gone and i want to say to you that in jesus christ spiritual harlots of which this room is full this room is full of spiritual harlots and i am the i am chief as paul says i am the foremost of all Spiritual harlots. We are made chaste virgin brides in Christ. I love this text. I could preach this text every Sunday. I could preach this text every Sunday. Now this Pharisee, you know, I'm sure he'd been to the temple that day and he'd been down to the synagogue and he spent half the day dividing off that 10% of his, mil, his mint and his dill and his cumin. You know, he got it just right. He didn't want to give too much. He got it just right. And I know he'd probably done all the prescribed ceremonial, ceremonial washings for the day, but I want to ask you the question, who worshipped God? This rule keeper, this box checker, this religious man, or this woman? Who worshipped? Whose worship was a sweet aroma in the nostrils of God? I don't think that's a hard question, is it? The prostitute knows what David says in Psalm 51, Against thee only have I sinned, O Lord. So why does she love much? And I want, you, I want to make sure we understand this. Why does she love much? She's been forgiven much. So why do, why do born-again believers love much? Because they've been forgiven. They've been forgiven. Now this Pharisee could do religion, but he did not have a clue about worshiping God. And I, want you to, I don't want you to get confused. Her sins aren't forgiven because she loved much. She loves much because her sins are forgiven. You understand? Because Jesus makes it clear, your faith has saved you. Not your love, not your act of devotion. Your faith has saved you. I just want to make sure we don't get confused about that. That's the point of Jesus' parable. The debt is forgiven. And, and uh, thankfulness flows from that forgiveness. The third point, I want you to, if you would, if you have a Bible, you might turn with me over to, to Mark. We're going to look at a, another woman here. This is, this is a different account. It's similar, but this is a different account. Um, in this account, we see Mary, who is the sister of Martha and Lazarus. Okay? John identifies who this is in, in his gospel. And again, this is Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. And let me just read verses 3 through 9 in, in Mark 14. And while he was, this is Jesus, in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper and reclining at the table, there came a woman with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume of pure nard. And she broke the vial and she poured it over his head. But some were indignant, remarking to one another, 
Why has this perfume been wasted? But this perfume might have been sold for over 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. And they were scolding her. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you bother her? She has done a good deed to me. The original language is, she has done a beautiful thing to me. <laughs> she has done a wonderful thing to me. Verse 7, For the poor you always have with you, and whenever you wish, you can do them good, but you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for the burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the Gospel is preached in the whole world, that also which this woman has done shall be spoken of her in memory of her. I want to make four brief sub-points under this passage. Her worship was unrestrained. I want you to notice, I want you to notice that her worship was unrestrained. She held nothing back. There's no lukewarm worship in her. It's just like the prostitute. Lukewarm is the antithesis of Jesus Christ. It's the antithesis of genuine Christianity. This is a passionate outpouring of love. It's unrestrained. She breaks the vial. There's nothing left. She's giving Him the best thing she has. It's the most valuable thing she has. And she's giving it to Him. She's giving it to Jesus Christ. She broke the vial and she anointed His head and His feet as well and she wiped them with her hair. And John writes, the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. And, I, and I'll submit to you, it, it, it's the sweet aroma of a sinner loving God the way a sinner is supposed to love God. All out. 100%. Not holding anything back. Not holding anything back. Worshiping God like He really is God. Like He really is worthy. Like He really did save us from sin and death and judgment in hell. Like He really did all those things. And like it really matters to us. And like it really matters more than anything else in our lives. This is how these women are worshiping Jesus Christ. Secondly, her worship is extravagant. Are you worshiping Jesus Christ extravagantly? What does the text say? That, that this offering, that this act of worship is worth a year's wages. So let me just bring it up into our context. Let's just say seven euro an hour. I have no idea if that's what the, the wages are for a common laborer in Europe. But let's just say seven euro an hour. Do the math, that's 15,000 euro. Okay, I just want you to feel what this is. Okay? And, and she unashamedly and, and without any reserve, she breaks it and she pours it out on him. Fifteen grand. Have you ever worshipped like that? Let me ask you. Have you ever worshipped God like that? She poured it out. Every bit of it. And she anointed her Lord with it. And some of the disciples were saying, Why this waste? And I want to say, waste? Is this a waste? Is this a waste? Her Messiah and her God is sitting in front of her, and I promise you that budgeting and calculating and economizing is not on her mind. And I want to say to you, if you come to God with, a, with, with that kind of mindset that you're going to budget and economize with God, I want to say you're really not ready to worship yet. 
I don't know if you've really seen Him yet. I don't know if you really understand what He did for you yet. And she's teaching us. She's teaching us to be unrestrained and extravagant. In true worship, I heard one guy say, calculation will vanish. Calculation vanishes. You don't care what anybody thinks. You don't care what anybody says. You don't care how much it costs. You love Him. And you're going to show Him. That's what these women are teaching us. The third thing I want to say is she did it now. She seized the day. Carpe diem, right? You know the Latin? Carpe diem. She seized the day. And I know, I, I talk to Christians a lot and they say, well, you know, when I get this, when I get this behind me, I'm going to do this. And when I do that, I'm going to do this. And, and then I'm going to do this. And then, then I'll be serving God more. And I want to say to you, friend, you don't know if you've got tomorrow. And I want to say to you, you better worship Him right now. You better worship Him right now. You better seize the day. Because you know what? In a few hours, Jesus is going to be gone. And I've often thought, I wonder what the, if the other disciples remembered this and, and Lazarus remembered it and, and Martha remembered it and they're thinking, man, I wish I'd have done the same thing. I wish I'd have worshipped Christ like that. Like Mary did. And I want to say to you, you better seize the day because you may not have but one day left. You better seize it. You better worship your God. You may not have another day in which to worship Him. And the last thing I want to say to you is that her worship is eternal. All you got to do is read the text. You can tell that this, this act of devotion and love and worship, that it just ripples through eternity. What does Jesus say? What does Jesus say? She has done a good deed to me. And what does he say? Somebody tell me what he says in verse 9. Tell, somebody tell me what he says in verse 9. She says, he says, what this woman has done, I will never forget, and nobody else will either. And what I want to say to you is, every time you worship God like this, he's never going to forget it. He's never going to forget it. And there's going to be some ripple through eternity. I don't understand that. I can't, I can't parse that for you. But there will be some ripple into eternity. And Jesus will never forget it. He will never forget it. He will never forget it. I don't care if it's just the smallest act of obedience on your part. Jesus Christ sees it and He will never forget it. You've got to love this. So what do you think? Was it a waste? Was that 15,000 euro wasted? I've often thought about Mary. I've often thought about her. Do you think she ever wished that she'd kept some back? Do you think she, she ever wished that she may, well, maybe I should have kept that for myself? Do you think she ever wished that? And let me ask you this. What do you think she's thinking right now as she looks at her glorified, risen Savior, God? What do you think she's thinking right now? I, I guarantee you, I'll, I'll tell you what she's thinking right now. She's thinking, I wish I'd been more extravagant every day of my life. I guarantee you that's what she's thinking right now. I guarantee you that's what she's thinking right now. I wish I'd been more extravagant every single day of my life. 
And that's what I want to leave you with. If you're a Christian here tonight, I want to challenge you to leave this place and worship Him extravagantly every day for the rest of your life. No more calculating. No more budgeting. No more holding anything back in reserve. No more being inhibited. Worship Jesus Christ in a way that really sons and daughters should worship Him. And, and, and that's the challenge. That's the challenge for you. Because to me, this is the upshot of John. This is the reasonable response to the Gospel of John. If He's God, then let's worship Him like He is. No lukewarm religion anymore. Let's pray together. You're an awesome God. You're an awesome God. Forgive us, Lord. We have not loved you as we ought. But Father, even in our own fallenness and our weakness, and Father, we offer up our worship to you. And Lord, I pray that we will learn from these two women. We will learn from these two women. Father, we would learn to worship like this, like forgiven sinners should worship. Oh God, give us a heart. Give us a passion. Father, help us to worship passionately as you have saved us passionately. Oh Lord, help us not, not to be guilty any longer of being lukewarm with You. Lord, may we burn white hot. May we burn white hot. And oh God, may, may the, the world around us, the unbelieving world around us, see our great love and, and devotion to You. And Father, may they be curious about it. And may we, be, and may we have the opportunity to share who You are and what You've done in our behalf. Lord, give us a heart for worship. Oh, Lord, break our hearts and give us a heart for worship. Oh, God, every day from today to the day we die, Lord, may we worship you extravagantly with glad, reckless joy. We pray this in the beautiful name of our Savior. Amen. Let's, uh, let's stand and sing our closing, uh, our closing